We're glad you've joined us today for Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called Hope in Crisis, and today we're going to listen to the second part of a message called Wholeness Through Holiness. Now, maybe your life is in a season of crisis. Let's take that to God's Word. Oh, here's, here's the, I thought the best one. Pseudo return, portfolio return. How about a commercial return? Commercial return. A limited time only, right? I just found out that, uh, you know, something that I thought I had been awarded at Starbucks uh, was for a limited time only. And I go in, I thought I had a free, tr- uh, no, that was only for a limited time, sorry. Okay? Sometimes we tell God that. Okay, God, for the next two years, till the kids are out of school, till my husband gets through this rough patch, okay, I'll return to you then. But then we're going back to normal programming. To then we're going back to the way things were. That's a limited, it's a limited, it's a commercial return. That's not what God wants. I thought Paul Tripp really gave a great example of a, a divided heart, if you will. Imagine if you went home one night and you said uh, to your wife, you put your arm around her and you said, Honey, I just want you to know, of all the women that I love, tonight I love you the most. Okay? I would never do that. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. That's going to be a rough evening, isn't it? Um, somebody needs to return. Okay? And God doesn't like that either. God doesn't like it when we say, Hey, hey, I'm going to give you, uh, of all the gods that I'm worshiping right now, Uh, Today, God, this morning at 10 a.m., you're the God that I love the most. What? God doesn't want us to rip our hearts in pieces and give him a piece, okay? It doesn't work like that. God wants a wholehearted return. Sadly, uh, in King Josiah's reign, uh, the nation of Judah determined that a pseudo or commercial return was good enough. And they returned to God in pretense, as this verse says, but that's not what God wanted. Hey, let me just say this. Don't forget this. God doesn't want your tears. God wants your heart. Okay? And so many times, I could, we, can go right the, we can go right to the front page of whatever newspaper and talk about people that wail full of, I just, rivers of tears. I'm so sorry for what I did. Oh, wait, I just kept doing it. I really didn't care. God doesn't care about our tears. God cares when the heart changes. And God will forgive anything if the heart changes. God wants us to return with our whole heart. Let's look at the second thing. Uh, The way I return to God with my whole heart, then by acknowledging my guilt. Acknowledging my guilt. How do I return to God? Whole heart and acknowledging my guilt. Look at verse 13. God says to the people of Israel, chapter 3, verse 13, Only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among the foreigners under every green tree and that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. He says, acknowledge your guilt. Now, can I say this? True repentance is not in generalities. If I were to say this to my wife, I would say, um, well, you know, honey, um, I can't believe I I put my hand in there. I I can't believe I did that. I... You know, I'm so sorry that I let you down. I'm so sorry that I let you down. I'm so, I, I, I was, I'm so disappointed in myself. Wait, just cut right to the point. You put your fingers in the cookie jar and you took the cookie, okay? Acknowledge your guilt, okay? And sometimes we use this cookie example in our own lives and we say, well, God, God, I, I'm kind of, I kind of feel bad about that. I, you know, 
wish I hadn't gotten caught. Or, God, I, I kind of feel bad about that because now look at those other people around me. They, they look so hurt. I, I, I wish for their sake that I hadn't. That's not acknowledging guilt. Guilt acknowledging that I took the lid off the cookie jar. I put my hand in there and I grabbed not one but two chocolate chip cookies that were still warm when I shouldn't have. Okay? And I did it. Okay? How many of you have done that? You can acknowledge your guilt. You can just raise your hand right now. Listen, generalities are the flat tire of returning to God. Can't return to God in generalities. And sometimes we just need to tell God, God, you're not my top priority right now. I'm just going to say it. I'm acknowledging my guilt. You're not my top priority right now. My passion to follow you right now is pretty low. It's pretty low. Shouldn't be there, God, but I'm just telling you the truth. Listen, listen, (laughs) this is the great thing. You know, we all try to think, oh, God, I don't know if God can handle the truth. Really? Okay? What God can't handle is us playing games. God can handle the truth. He knows more about the truth than any of us do. He knows where our heart is before we figure out where our heart is. Listen, God can handle the truth. What he can't handle is pretense. What he can't handle is generalities that don't lead to heart change. The way to change, the way to change is by acknowledging our guilt. Let me give you two more steps quickly. The way I return to God, chapter four, verse one says, there's that word return. He says, if you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. And if you remove your detestable things from my presence, notice that God had said, this is my people, this is my land, I'm here. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, just stop there. Listen, we return to God by removing detestable things. By removing those detestable things in our lives. Now what are those detestable things? Well, they may not be what you're thinking. If I, if I were to take a poll of Christians, what's the three most detestable things in God's eyes? It probably wouldn't be what every evangelical says. Here's some things that are detestable to God. Let me give you four. Works-based salvation. That is very detestable to God. When people say, yeah, I know your son died on the cross. I know that he was there to cover my sin. But you know what? I'm good enough on my own. Th- I'm going to come to church. I'm going to put on a smile. But ultimately, it all comes down to me, baby. I think I can, I think I can pull myself up by my bootstraps or whatever straps I have now. I, I can pull myself up. I can solve it in my own strength. I can get to God on my own goodness. That's an abomination to God. There's going to be a lot of people apart from God for eternity who thought they could do it in their own strength. That's an abomination to God. Here's another one things that are detestable to God. Pride. Pride. Pride shows up in Christians just as much as it shows up shouldn't. Shows up as much in Christians sometimes as non-believers. You can show up two ways. Let me give you graceless truth. Graceless truth, that to me is one of the epitomes, sadly, of Christianity in our country. And my heart is that I, that we, that a church in America would repent of having a graceless truth. You're wicked. You're evil. I'm going to blog about it. No, I'm going to talk about it on television. No, I'm going to tell you whatever, fill in the blank. You are such a pagan. And the gospel is where in that? Oh, wait, remember, as Paul said, uh, such were some of you. All of us were apart from God. All of us were detestable in his sight until we were covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. Right? I don't know where you walked in today or where you're at, but you could be the person that's farthest from God where you are right now and think God would never accept me, and that is, that's not true. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ wants to bring you to salvation and to hope. 
Pride is graceless truth. Or here's no patience. I got no patience for these Christians. They, they just, they don't, and shooting, 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 shooting a graceless truth. Here's the other side of that, truthless grace, okay? Oh, I love you so much. Oh, you don't, don't worry about, don't, don't worry about confessing and repenting. Oh, you, we just love you. We love, 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 but no grace and truth. Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. It's the combination that's impactful. It's the, it's the combination that is the gospel personified. Workspace salvation, pride. Here's a third one. Things that are detestable to God. Unforgiveness. It's a life without mercy. It's a life filled with bitterness. Some of you need to hear this. Let it go. Let it go. God's word message to you is today. Let it go. Some of us here, you know, in our, in our if, if we were truth be told, you know, the cabinet of our lives, we, every morning we get up and we polish that trophy of bitterness. Oh, yeah, but do you remember? I mean, I, it's been a bad week. I've been naughty, but do you know what they did to me? Do you remember what they did? I'm, I'm not so bad after all. I, I just got to polish. The, I, I, and I'm not talking to that person. What? Jesus forgave you everything, and you're going to polish your trophies of bitterness? That's detestable to the living God. Here's the last of the four. And I think this ought to be the most convicting to every believer here, regardless of where you're at. It's the idol of diverted passion. So often our attention is taken away from the living God and diverted to other, other aspects that draw our hearts toward other things. Uh, maybe it doesn't get completely diverted. That was the story of King Solomon. A heart that was so passionate early was diverted away slowly towards idolatry of all sorts and he wasn't serving wholeheartedly. God wants your whole heart. God wants our passion in worship. Holiness is being set apart for God. Idolatry is being apart from God. Let me say that again. Holiness is being set apart. When God said this thing is holy, what he was saying is do not defile this. When there were items in the tabernacle, they were holy. No one could touch them. Some things, if you touched, you died. It was set apart. And God said, I want my people to be like that. I want them to be set apart. I don't want them filled with detestable things. And I want this people to be unique to me, to worship me and to follow me. Okay, that's set apart for God. But idolatry is when I set myself apart from God and I pull myself over here and I don't want, you know, God and I just need a little space. I just need a little time alone from God. That's idolatry. When I can't let it go or I can't get away from it to worship God, it's time to return. It's time to return. This is Pastor Luke Aarons. Maybe you've been listening to Meeting with God and wondering, how can I embrace the gift of salvation and follow Jesus Christ? Or I have some questions about Jesus and the journey of faith. We would love to answer any questions you may have or help you in taking the next step of faith. Let me encourage you to visit our church website, verticalchurch.life, or visit one of our weekend services in Columbus near Route 315 and Henderson Road. Finally, verse 21. Look at verse 21, chapter 3. Fourth aspect of returning so verse 21, the voice on the bare heights is heard, the weeping and pleading of Israel's sons because they have perverted their ways, and here it is, and they have forgotten the Lord their God. They have forgotten the Lord their God. Whether you're inching or sliding your way away from God or whether you're in a full-blown run away from God, when we're running from someone, what's the last thing you want to think about? 
Okay, if you're running from your spouse or running from something, the last thing you want to think about is your spouse. If you're running from the Lord, the last thing you want to think about or the last, time, last thing you take your time to think about is God. It's convicting. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about where I'm going away from him. I don't want to think about what he feels right now as I'm running from him. The way I return to God is by removing detestable things and by remembering my God. By remembering my God. To return is to have a heart to know, to dwell on, to remember God, to remember his grace, to remember his holiness, his love, his truth. That's the gospel. Okay, I want to turn a corner here. What happens when we return to God? Okay? So we've just talked about four steps to come back toward the living God. But what happens when I show up there? What ha- what's going to happen? Have you ever had a time where you, need, you knew you needed to apologize and you kind of walk back and you come to that person and you're like, but I don't know what's going to happen. What if I come back and that person just lights me up for the second time? Well, what is God like? Let's see that here. Chapter 3, verse 12 it says again, go proclaim these words toward the north and say, return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger. I don't know if you ever had one of these experiences. If you're a parent, you have had this experience. Okay, you ever had dinner with somebody and you're, you're having dinner and you invite some good friends over, not friends that you're like really close with, but like sort of close with and people you sort of want to impress a little bit. I mean, you, do, you just want to have a really good dinner. And so you have the big table, you got them and maybe a couple of their kids or a couple couples over and you've got your kids at the table. And um, that's when Junior decides, I think I got dad or mom right where I want them. This would be a great time to put on a show. And so they, uh, you know, playing with the food, doing goofy things, saying silly things, just being obnoxious, right? So then you're sitting there as a parent, you don't want to like say, uh, excuse me, everyone, Junior, will you please stop? Now, that'd be so awkward, right? And everything gets quiet, and then you have to like start the evening all over again. So you don't do that. But what do you do? As a parent, you sit there, and what you're doing is you're waiting for that moment when little Junior, after all of his goofing around, makes eye contact with you. And you give him the look. (laughs) Okay? Which basically means it would be a really great time for you to cease and desist, and we will talk about this later. The look, the look. Listen, listen. What God is saying here is, when you come back to me, I'm not going to give you the look. When you come back to me, I'm going to look on you differently. I am not going to look on you with anger. I'm not going to look at you in such a way that you can remember all the things you're doing wrong right now and really feel terrible about it. So I will not look on you in anger. God's saying, if you return to me, just look in verse 12, right after that, next phrase. He says, for I am merciful, I am merciful. This is the best word in the Old Testament apart from the word Yahweh. It's the word chesed, okay? Comes from the Hebrew. Now, this form right here in this particular verse is the uh, adjectival form, okay? It's only two other times in, in Scripture. Here and in Psalm, I'll read it to you, Psalm 140. Uh, 5 verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Only in this verse and that verse is it used as an adjective describing God. 
Now, the Hebrew word chesed is talking about God's loving kindness, his covenant faithfulness, his irresistible grace is a great way to put it. He's the God that never gives up on people. He's a covenant God that is absolutely dedicated to his people. You ever known somebody like that? They're just so kind, doesn't matter what you say, they love you. It's like your parents. If you've had parents that are godly, um, even when you kicked up a mess, even when you acted up at the table, you knew they loved you. Maybe I would say this, if you didn't have a parent like that, maybe God wants to introduce to you his love for the first time in a deep way. If you have not known this part of God, this is the greatest discovery in the Old Testament. It's of a God, a chesed. It's a God who says, my love will not be stopped. It is a relentless love that is coming towards you. And when it uses an adjective here, it's not saying God has this, okay? Um, but it's different when God says, I am this. this is, let me define for you what I'm like. I am merciful. He's saying, I am chesed. Even with all I've done, Lord, even with all I've said, and yet you're like that? Here is what you will see when God's mercy begins to work in your life, when you experience the chesed of God. God will respond in mercy, giving me wholeness by, here it is, healing my faithlessness. Now, I'd say this with gentleness, but I think you need to feel the weight of what he's saying here. When it says that you are a faithless person, if you look through this whole text, it's going to say it a couple times, you are faithless faithless. Let me give you a description of what he's talking about. It's scripture is saying that a person is faithless and needs to return. It's not just saying, oh, you kind of haven't been following the plan. Here's the picture of it. Some of you have been here. The most painful thing, pretty much, you can experience in life that I've seen is when one spouse in a marriage turns their back on the other spouse and goes off and has an affair or does something like that. And there's a sense to which that person is faithless. That's what it's describing here. When he says in the text, verse 22, it says, return, O faithless sons, and I will heal your faithlessness. He's not saying I'm going to change you so you can have a little more faith to believe God for something. What he's saying is, I'm going to come into this situation, and even though you've run away from me and run after other gods and run after other things, he's saying, I'm going to restore and heal this relationship. One of the most painful things is to see a marriage come apart, especially over adultery. But I'll tell you one of the most powerful things to see is when God brings that marriage back together and the trust is reignited and the faith in the marriage is reestablished. And that's what God's doing here. He's saying, I will restore it. Listen, you can't, you can't. That's where Jesus Christ comes in. He comes in and restores that fidelity between us and God. That's what happens. That's what God's gonna do when we return to him. He's going to restore and heal, heal my faithlessness. Then look at verse 12. Second thing that happens when, when God, we come to God, how will God respond? Well, first he'll heal us. Then notice second of all, the end of verse 12. He says, I will not be angry forever. I will not look on you in anger. and I will not be angry with you forever. I'm just telling you, this is what took me to tears this week when I was prepping. Okay, so like in my relationship with, with someone, you, you, think of, you think of who that person is, right? And you've gone to them and you've asked them to forgive you, right? And you've said, I, I, I was wrong. I... But you know somewhere in the back of your head that when that particular situation comes up again 
or that particular topic happens again, that in that other person's mind, there's going to be a sense of that button got pushed again. And there we go again. Now we got to talk about that again. Now we got to feel that again. We got to work through that again. We've all been there. Okay, but here's the amazing thing about God. When God says, I'm going to turn my anger away from you, we, we come to God and we're like, God, you, you forgive me. God, I know in there, there's, there's a button in there that if I do that again, then, then we're going to have to discuss that again. And it's like when we come to God after this whole thing, what scripture is describing here, it's like we come to God and we're like, where is that button? Where is that button? And it's like God responds and says, there isn't a button. I've forgiven that. Like, but, but no, God, but no, God, but I remember it, God. I, I remember, I know there's got to be a button in there somewhere where we can talk about, we have to talk about that again because I failed, God. I, and God's like, you know what? You remember the button. I've chosen to forget the button. The button doesn't exist. That's when God turns his anger away from us. That is God's mercy. That is the God we serve, a God of love, a God that turns away his anger from us. That's grace right there. Before God, I am whole. Before God, that cancer of sin doesn't exist. Before God, that record that I have, it's been wiped away. We return to God by remembering. We turn around and come back to God by remembering who he is and of his love and of his blood. What does God do? God loves us by forgetting. Okay? We remember God. God then chooses to forget and forgive and to move on. What a picture of grace. God will respond in mercy by giving me wholeness, wholeness, a rightness, everything back where it should be, by healing my faithlessness, turning away his anger. And here's a third one, bringing restoration into my life. Chapter 3, verse 13 talks about acknowledging guilt. Then look at verse 14. God says, return, there it is again, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master, and I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And when you have multiplied and increased in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for it shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of God, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly follow their own heart. But in those days, the house of Judah shall join the house of Israel, restoration. And together they shall come from the land of the north, where they've been deported, to the land that I shall give to your fathers for a heritage." God's saying, you know what? You've messed it up. I'm going to have to send you to some other places. I'm going to have to break you. I'm going to have to deal with the idolatry. But my heart, ultimately, when you return to me, is to bring you back. It's to restore you. It's to put things back the way they should have been. God can do what they couldn't do with Humpty Dumpty, okay? We kind of think of our lives, it's funny, but we think of our lives like that. Once it's broken, it's broken. And yet the living God is saying, no, 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 no. I'm calling you to return because I can put things back where they can't be put back together again. God's heart is for total restoration, for spiritual renewal, for the nearness of God in your life, what might be described as shalom in Scripture. That's most clearly seen in Jesus Christ. The gospel should be hitting us all full blast every day. 
Some of us think, well, I've, I've engaged the gospel. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm following him. Yeah, but the gospel's meant to impact you every day, not just that day. Wherever your heart is right now, wherever God is putting his finger gently, uh, return to me there, return to me. What God's calling you is saying, listen, here's the steps. I want you to bring that back to me because I want to be able to pour out my blessing and my mercy and my love uninhibited. We are the ones that put up the barriers to God's blessing, not him. And when we begin to deal with those and return to God and say, God, I'm like that prodigal child. God, I'm like that stubborn older brother. And I'm changing my heart. And I'm coming back to you. And it's going to be wholehearted. And I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put negotiation into this process. God, I'm coming back to you with a whole heart because of who you are. You are merciful. God, you're loving. You're forgiving. You're everything I could ever hope for and have often turned my back on. That's the God we return to. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. Vertical Church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus and currently do not have a church home, we would love to invite you to worship with us. Our worship services meet at our church home at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Our church family is warm, loving, and would be so happy to meet you. If you currently do not have a place to worship this weekend, would you join us? As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week for your Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.